0: For this edition of our Skift podcast, we will feature a roundtable discussion on regulation from our recent Skift Short-Term Rental and Outdoor Summit. To join us and learn more about future Skift events, visit live.skift.com to stay in the know and sign up for future forums and summits. Please welcome the CEO and Executive Director of the National League of Cities, Clarence Anthony, and the former mayor and city council member of Seattle, Tim Burgess and the VP of Government and Corporate Affairs of Expedia Group, Amanda Pedigo, In conversation with VRM Intel Founder and Editor-in-Chief, Amy Hino.
1: Well, hi, everyone. Welcome back. And we are um, in the last session of the first day of the Skiff Short-Term Rental and Outdoor Summit. And I just wanted to say congrats to the Skiff team on getting this all together. And not just this event, but all the other events they've done this year that they had to move online. I um, personally know how difficult that that has been. And I um, I just want to say congratulations to you guys. You've done an amazing job, not just with this, but with your other events as well. And welcome to Mayor Burgess and Amanda Pettigo from Amanda Speedia. Tim was the former mayor and a former councilman from Seattle. So welcome you guys, thank you for joining us. Um, Clarence Anthony, who is the executive director of the National League of Cities, should be joining us shortly. He's running a little bit behind. So if he pops in, we'll we'll try to catch him up to speed. Um, So, Amanda, um, I want to start with you. We've been talking a lot today about this whole idea of the short term rentals, um, short term rental industry being kind of an umbrella term for a lot of different sectors of rentals. That includes things like urban apartments. It includes shared housing, which, you know, things like renting a room or a mother-in-law suite or a basement, um, and this whole home traditional vacation rental inventory, Um, and a lot of things in between that we've seen lately, including, you know, residential neighborhoods. I wanted to to take a little bit of a trip in the Wayback Machine and figure out, the vacation rental, the second home rental industry, existed in leisure destinations long before we started seeing a lot of activity limiting, or a lot of regulations or restrictions limiting rental activity. I'm kind of curious, where did it start? When did we start to see as an industry the first signs of of efforts to limit or prohibit activity? And you're on mute.
2: I'm so sorry.
1: Better? Yeah.
2: Um, Yeah. So first of all, I want to just quickly say thank you to Skift for having us here. This is a really important discussion, and I'm thrilled we have this opportunity. Um, And yeah, Amy, to your questions, certainly, you know, Expedia Group, uh, Expedia Group's vacation rental platform has been around for 25 plus years, right? So this isn't something new. And I think that as the vacation rental sector grew, and certainly technology, um, the mechanisms of technology to facilitate short-term rentals grew, I think that's when regulatory scrutiny increased Um, to the point that now here we are where we have a really unique opportunity to set the rules of the road for the sector. And I think those rules of the road can only be accomplished via collaborative partnership between industry, elected officials, and um, people from throughout the sector. So we're really excited to serve the role of kind of collaborative stakeholder and convener of all of these people to talk about how can we shape fair and effective regulation for the sector that balances you know, community concerns with the very real benefits that vacation rentals offer to local communities and to the overall tourism economy.
1: Um, Mayor Burgess, when you first started um, hand, dealing with short-term rental. Um restriction, the, actually the conversation in Seattle, you were a council member, is that correct?
0: Yes, that's right. I was a member of the city council and we started uh, considering this in 2016 mm-hmm. and we finally passed legislation in late 2017. But as yeah. Amanda just said, it's open. it-, it
2: Close that out as well.
0: I'm sorry?
1: I didn't- I don't know where that
2: was coming
0: okay. from. That was somebody else talking <laughs> to me, I guess. Sorry about that. Hi, Clarence. Welcome. Um, How are you? I'm um, well, thank you. When we started in Seattle, the impetus for considering regulation came from the affordable housing advocacy community. And they were uh, fearful that a great expansion of short-term rentals would actually harm the uh long-term rental market in the city. So, that was the original uh, impetus for for why we began consideration of regulation.
1: What were the other concerns? So, affordable housing was the beginning. What were the other concerns that people had uh, or the city had about short-term rental activity?
0: Well, I think the core concern, in addition to depleting long-term Housing was kind of the city's basic public health and safety obligations to make sure that short-term rentals were safe, uh, that they were, you know, clean, and that the the customer, if you will, would have a pleasant experience. and And that certainly falls within the purview of cities and uh, towns across the country. You know, usually the primary obligation of a city government is public health and safety. So. Uh, that was another major concern. Um, and then we heard from some key stakeholders like hotels and others who uh, expressed concern uh, in Seattle. Fortunately, uh, our hotel industry and, and that sector of our economy is very engaged with city government. And so, you know, they were at the table all the time and worked with us and uh, were at the end of the day before it was passed by the city council were generally supportive of the regulations that we adopted.
1: Was it a difficult process, Mayor Burgess? Uh,
0: it, it wasn't difficult in, in the sense that it was uh, confrontational or divisive. It was difficult in that it took a long time. In fact, one of, I think, looking back, one of the major Benefits of our approach to this issue was we took our time to understand the issues, to listen to everybody, uh, to listen to condo owners who were upset that many of the condominiums in their building had been converted to short term rentals. Which, you know, we said to them, well, you ought to look at your HOA regulations. That's more your issue than it is city government's issue. Uh, But we listened to them, we listened to neighbors who didn't like party houses down the block and we listened to the platforms and we listened to the providers who are who are creating short-term rentals for use by the public and we were very deliberate in our effort to make sure that we were listening well and that we were testing various approaches i mean we we started out with wanting to limit the number of days that a short-term rental could be on the market then we shifted to the number of short-term rentals that a particular person could have, and everything in between. So uh, we finally got it right, and I I think it is legislation that's working well.
1: Mayor Anthony, welcome, glad you could make it, thank you for joining us. Um, You were a former mayor in a city in Florida, so vacation rentals are not new for you. You have certainly cut your teeth knowing what they were all about. But when you joined and took over at the National League of Cities, were you kind of surprised that there was a lot of pushback on short-term rental activity?
3: Well, man, I hadn't been called a mayor in a long time, Uh, Mayor Mayor Burgess. I I jumped when I heard that word. I like my job at the National League of Cities a lot more. I can tell you that. You know, it's it's interesting. um, the, the conversation when I, I came to uh National League of Cities wasn't new to me because I was in Florida and, and saw uh the relationship between the industry and um uh, the public sector leaders who were trying to manage uh the process. And actually, you know, in Florida and even in this role, what I find is the newness is not new now, but the first time someone engages in a discussion uh, around short-term rentals and the platforms that have been developed, it was just something different and new. And um, candidly, public officials, our systems, we weren't ready for it. And so therefore, it was like, it's it's gonna happen. It's like, you know, ride share, you gotta get ready for it. And so by the time I got here, uh, it was around for decades and the digital nature of short-term rental industry had had exploded in a way that cities had not anticipated. And at least there was, um, there were no best practices at that time. And I think now, as we look at the growth and development of the industry, uh, it's here. I think our municipal leaders are interested in engaging with it. They can learn from others from the state of Florida, California and others that have really um, got their feet wet in this. Um, and I think they're interested and I'm excited about how we can share those best practices.
1: And I really appreciate that. I think there's been such an evolution. You know, I, I've seen it from the property manager side, you know, but never really had the opportunity to discuss it with with you guys, you know, to to see what what maybe we missed out so we could have, that we made along the way and what we could have done differently, especially in terms of understanding what was important to you. And I think that um, in thinking about that affordable housing, you know, discussion, you know, the pushback of that is that it's such a small percentage of, of that group. And I think the number is 0.01 to 0.1% of affordable of stock would affect, you know, affordable housing. i I'm, A lot of the studies have shown that there might be some economic benefits, too, from short-term rental activity in terms of patronizing local restaurants, local um, retail, and also the tax base. Are there any benefits or did you see or do you guys see any benefits? I'll start with you. Um, I'll I'll, I'll use your name, Clarence, so I don't want to give you a panic attack that you have mayoral (laughs) duties right now. (laughs) But um, I'll start with you, Clarence. Are there benefits that you guys have identified for allowing short term rentals?
3: Yeah. I mean, I, I felt like this was public comment time, uh, Mayor Burger. <laughs> and uh, Amy yeah. was.
0: You guys can call me Tim. Just yeah, call me Tim. Yeah. Tired, so. And, and yeah. Amy was attacking. I have no you. more authority.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know, I do think that's
3: the conversation that needs to be shared when. We in a, engage uh, with the industry because there are benefits, especially as you think of now uh, when we're in this COVID time. Um, you know, there's an explosion; has to be an explosion of uh, people interested and in, um, going beyond their front door. And there's so many opportunities to have short-term rentals. And I think the conversation for me it has to be about uh, good public policy and the benefits that is described. For example, um, I do think that the downtown restaurants and and the industry and the main streets of America benefit from short term rentals. Uh, also, um, those when we talk about affordable housing and you know building wealth wealth. Um, for people of color specifically, this could be a major uh, opportunity to um, create business opportunities from um, all kinds of services and benefits that you can uh, provide. I don't think that was the conversation initially. I think the conversation was that, that we're just going to come in here and we're going to um, uh, rent my unit. Uh, And I think more and more, Um, We're seeing that municipal officials want to have a conversation about how do you plan uh, the use uh, and the zoning processes so that it's integrated in an effective manner Um, and not just, okay, we're here and we're going to uh, put this industry in the community because if, and, and Mayor Burgess, Tim will tell you this, Uh, If it goes right, um, municipal officials don't get blamed. But if it goes wrong and the parties and any crime that occurs, uh, if it does, and I'm not saying it always does, uh, we want the industry to understand the impact on us as we try to understand. And that's my goal in, in participating on this panel, is that of education on both sides and so that we can have a real conversation.
1: Amanda, can I jump in there, I on that? Yeah, absolutely, Tim.
0: Yeah, I agree with what uh, Clarence just said, and I had another motivation, and this motivation came from meeting a lot of uh, individuals who started doing short-term rentals either in their home or they had another property somewhere, and that was a desire to reward the entrepreneurial spirit of these individuals and not to snuff that out. And so we were real careful to focus keenly on the public health and safety issues, which is, as I said earlier, a key responsibility of municipal government, but also to make sure that whatever we did did not harm, uh, as Clarence referred to it, this opportunity to create wealth and build long-term economic stability, which was very, very important.
1: It's a, that's a really great point. Uh, we've seen a few in, um, points uh, in our history of an industry where we see new businesses come in. And when Verbo, Expedia's Verbo started and allowed a marketplace for second home rentals, we saw a lot of people invest in second homes and start renting them out and creating businesses. And most of our industry now is actually made up of businesses that started by listing one property on Verbo. This whole experience with Airbnb has done that in the cities. And and I think we're seeing a lot of professional hosts, which is what we've been talking about a lot today. The Saunders of the world, the Oasis, the Lyric, all of those guys came out of listing their urban apartments on Airbnb. Um, how are you guys looking at the individual host or that primary resident? Actually, I'm going to back up. Tim, I want to, and before I come back to you, Amanda on San Diego, this idea of primary resident versus second homeowner. The people who own a home in, like in Seattle, for example, um, but they live in Portland, um, that they use as a second home when they want to, but they want to rent it out when they're not there. Was, what was the impetus for kind of not, to maybe favoring the primary resident over the second homeowner in renting out a property?
0: So the final legislation that we adopted in Seattle allows a host to have two properties one of which can be their primary residence plus one other Um, so you could not be for example someone whose primary residence is in portland oregon and have two uh, properties in seattle you you can have two properties but one of them has to be your primary residence and and that was the result of compromise Um, i started out originally primary residence plus three or four um, Others wanted primary residence only, and we compromised at primary residence plus one other. But we also took another step. We had a lot of short-term rentals in our downtown core that had been operating for several years, some of them geared toward the corporate uh, temporary residence model where, you know, someone works for a company someplace else but needs to be in Seattle for two months uh, and and we did not want to harm those existing businesses in our downtown core, so we grandfathered them in. Uh, and so those operators, those hosts, are not restricted to the to the two unit uh, restriction, it, just the number that they had at the time they were grandfathered in. Brian, yeah, I think, can I add to
1: that? Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead, Mindy.
2: Um, I just thank you, Tim, for walking us through what happened in Seattle. And I'm just listening so intently because I remember this (laughs) ongoing conversation, how we got there. And it really is. It was an amazing journey, but it's very indicative of the fact that, you know, every community is different. And Seattle had particular needs. Um, I'm really excited that we are at a place where we're we're committed to entering conversations with local communities to discuss what are their needs and how can we craft workable effective regulation that can address them so that as you guys suggested Clarence uh uh, Tim you're not you're not hearing that you failed two years down the road that you're not hearing wow what what you passed didn't work we want to sit down with communities and say we we know what works because we're we're everywhere and we can tell you how how, cities that got it right like Seattle and some cities that may be going down a path where they're they're not going to solve their problem um, going, yeah, let's and, that back and
3: I also think, and I also think, as we pull the poll poll up, Amy, I think that you know it's been one of those thoughts that we were punitive, um, but in a lot of ways we weren't ready, and I think cities have gotten ready uh, for the industry, and as we look at how we move forward, uh, I think it has created an opportunity for us to. Come up with some strategies to be inclusive, because the impact on the community is what the city is is really worried about.
1: Mm-hmm. I, um, you know, a lot of the pro- the professional property management community who's been around in this industry for for a really long time, you know, a lot of these um, the re- the restrictions that have happened in Seattle have trickled down to places and like. To more coastal cities like Miami and San Diego, and then even more vacation rental style cities like Palm Springs. Man, I wonder if you could give us a little bit of your um, exp- share, a little bit of the experience from San Diego. That's a city that went back and forth on regulations, um, tried a lot of different um, types <laughs> of, from th- from limits on days, like you said, limits on properties. Tell us a little bit about San Diego. Yeah, um, San
2: Diego has been another journey for us and I, one that I feel like it's finally heading in the right direction. So you know, we've been engaged with San Diego for years. I'm gonna say six six years, but I my colleagues in the property management community that live down there have been working on this for a decade, I think, and um, trying to find the right balance. And the city is facing legitimate local concerns about nuisance, about the impact on housing and of impact to local communities. And so they've been hesitant to do anything to legitimize the industry. And so we've engaged from from the start to explain the, the legitimate benefits that vacation rentals do bring to the community. And yet to say, and despite that, they need to be limited. And the, the, the character of those limits depends on where you sit, who, where you're living, what's going on in your community. So we encouraged a conversation to find the right, right level of limits for San Diego. But most importantly, I think we did something else, which is to recognize that there need to be all stakeholders at the table when we're trying to shape effective regulation. And so in San Diego, I'm really proud of the work that we did to work collaboratively with the city With um, and more importantly, with the local labor union, uh, Unite Here, uh, who have been historically adamantly opposed to vacation rentals, but we were able to say we're willing to discuss limits. We're willing to discuss enforcement. Let's talk about what would work. Let's try to find a middle ground. And amazingly, you know, in the past year, we've been able to sign a memorandum of understanding that enshrines basic concepts for what we, Expedia Group, and Unite Here believe is fair and effective regulation, which involves limits, help with compliance, and strong good neighbor policies. And I'm really proud to say that that, uh, that package is moving its way through city council. So hopefully we'll see a new law on the books in San Diego
1: by the time we all meet next year. We're looking, Amanda, too, at some state preemptive bills coming up. How is Expedia working with the state legislatures in putting together some of these bills? Yeah, we engage with all the states. Pretty any state
2: who's interested to talk about these issues, and more and more, it is more and more states. So we've got a very busy legislative state legislative calendar approaching uh, at the beginning of January. We'll be working with the state of Florida to uh, protect the preemption law it has on the books. It currently uh, preempts regulation of vacation rental use and occupancy to the state level, and helps us engage in a kind of statewide conversation about reasonable limits and reasonable rules. Um, Likewise in Arizona, that has a a preemption law on the books. But also we are beginning conversations with with several other states to say, if you wanna set a statewide standard, we're we're willing to sit down with you and discuss what should that statewide standard look like? Should it involve registration? Is there um, help from the platforms that might be necessary to build a registration system and enforcement system that actually works for the state and for its residents? Um, And so those conversations are happening as well.
1: Clarence, how are the cities looking at these state preemptive bills? Are they disruptive or are they helpful?
3: You know, our our basic principle, and again, Tim and I can talk about this all day, is uh, (laughs) local control. Um, And we wanna uh, just, I just build on one of the things that Amanda said was every city is different, uh, every community is different and how you manage and communicate uh, with those leaders in the, the, and citizens uh, as they wanna craft a place they call home and a neighborhood that they call home um, It's important to us. Now, um, I won't, you know, I, I, I understand why, uh, an industry would want to go to the state level. And that is, they have to deal with one legislature, one governor. In the state of Florida, they don't have to deal with 400 different cities. Um, however, I think there has to be a strategy put in place uh, that provides some flexibility to those communities as you try to uh, develop a welcome mat to the industry. And I think that that's uh, one of the things that I hope in my role here at the National League of Cities, working with Amanda as one of our partners, um, we can be able to create that kind of uh, conversation uh, that they say, yes, I understand, I gotta go to the state level, but I wanna continue to have this conversation and uh, abide by and plan with those local communities, those 400 local communities. And I think we got we, we made progress in that. Again, the industry came in, we weren't ready as municipalities. Now I think we're ready to have those conversations and I'm excited about them. Yeah,
2: you, can I, I yeah, just wanna add on, because parents Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, I'm excited about our partnership personally, because we feel the exact is the same commercial way.
1: And partnership, if I'm not mistaken, correct? There's a commercial partnership between Expedia and the National League of Cities. So we're a member of the National League of Cities
3: because cities are a key stakeholder to us. Yeah. And I think as Amanda and I've been talking and our team, Philip and all of those guys, it's about information and communication. It's about public-private partnerships. It does not work if the public sector designs public policy that does not include private sector input. And the opposite doesn't work when private sector uh, just says, this is what we're going to do. And then we end up having to uh, come afterwards and manage the process. So I'm excited about this this dialogue we're having today.
2: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. We, we are absolutely at the end of an evolution as partners where before, I don't know that we ever thought of each other as partners that could together craft effective policy. And for the first time we are talking about how we do that. It's really exciting.
1: There's an audience question I'm going to throw in here. And it's one that Amanda, you and I talked about before the call about, it says, how does Amanda blend community needs with state with state and Expedia, Expedia needs? And I think going back to that point is, you know, you've got this hotel side, hotel hat that you wear on top of the rental hat. And if you felt any pressure from Expedia to push back on short-term rentals to favor hotels. Yeah, that's a great question. And the answer is absolutely not.
2: What we find as you know, the world's go- travel platform is that Vacation rentals serve a particular need to a particular kind of traveler in the market, and hotels serve a very different need. We don't find that the customers seeking vacation rentals would necessarily seek a hotel in similar circumstances. A great example, I travel for business a lot. Well, excuse me, I used to travel for business a lot. And when I did, um, I stayed in a hotel because it's convenient. I'm by myself. I want to be able to order room service. There are a lot of amenities that I need. When I take my family on a summer vacation, you couldn't pay me enough money to sit in a hotel room with my kids for a week. And so I seek a vacation rental. It's it's just a completely different traveler seeking a different experience. And so there's room for both in the travel ecosystem.
1: Tim, I wanted to ask you really quickly um, that if we look at uh, looking at the platforms, do they have any responsibility in? um in kind of creating these good neighbor policies and helping to set expectations of guests so that they know how to act as a, as a local person staying in a residential property.
0: Uh, Yes, they, they, I think have that obligation, but the city government does not in Seattle anyway, does not really get into that level of detail. What we require of platforms and hosts is they must have a general city business license as every business in the city has to have and they both have to have a special license for their function so there's a platform license and there's a host license Uh, the host pays 75 dollars a year for their host license um, and then there's a seven percent tax that is i believe collected by the platforms um, and then reimbursed to the city paid to the city We also require that the platforms and the hosts must list their city business license number on all of their promotion materials. So if you go online to Airbnb or Expedia and you look at a particular property, you can see their city uh, specialty license number there. So you know that they're registered with the city and such. And the platforms have reporting obligations to the city as well to provide data as the city analyzes, you know, is this working or not?
1: That makes sense. I want to talk about a little bit about what good policy is. So, um, and how that's, and has it evolved? And then I want to wrap up talking about whether or not we think COVID will actually strengthen or or increase or relax some regulatory activity on the other side of this pandemic event. But looking at good policy, um, Clarence, I'll start with you. What is a good short-term rental policy for a city right now? What does it include?
3: Well, I think, um, first of all, uh, it it includes data and information um, and making decisions based upon data, what is actually happening, and how can you manage um, the opportunity that you have to build fair regulation. And that's not only to address um, the short-term rental, but also... Uh, housing affordability and availability, safety, um, and 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 just being able to, again, understand uh, how the rental community fits within your community and the culture of your community. And I think that's, again, very important and is very different uh, for each city. Uh, for example, New Orleans is focused on housing affordability uh, but they've been able to revise their ordinance uh, because they also recognize that, um, that there needs to be a, dis- a distinction between, uh, I would say, residential and commercial zone districts. And so owner-occupied units may rent out in residentially zone district and not taken off of the long-term market. So it's, it's, they're looking at what works for them and they are applying uh, models and policy that reflects their local uh, culture and desire. And I think it could be integrated in, in, in a way that uh, again, using data, using factual information and a, a partnership and communication with the industry. If we don't have all of those things, we're gonna have a lot of conflict in the future. And I want to make sure, again, uh, that we also include uh, the benefits of the, the industry in the local community. That's very key because people don't acknowledge that city governments are also businesses. They have to balance budgets and the impact on the roads, the water system, the public service, unfortunately, we have to think that way. It has to get paid for by something. So, not creating too much regulation, but enough to manage uh, the industry's engagement.
1: Uh, Amanda, um, okay. So, same kind of question to you. I, when you work with people, what is 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 there anything in addition to what Clarence just said um, past the um, that are that is considered good policy when you when you talk to cities and states? Yeah. Um, well, I would
2: associate myself with the comments of uh, my colleague from Florida, 100%. And I would just add to it that, yeah, yes, every city is different. And so what does is, what is good policy look like? A little bit different depending where you are. But there are common threads in our conversations with different communities that we notice. Um, we have a range of platform-based tools that we have offered and very successfully in some markets. So I can share with you that we discuss reasonable limits on the activity um, so that neighborhoods aren't feeling overrun, Uh, but, but we are still legitimizing a fair amount of vacation rentals for the benefits that they bring to the tourism ecosystem. We see good neighbor policies over and over again to protect against nuisance in communities and keep neighbors feeling confident. Um, and we see platform partnership on compliance, because what we've learned is that rules mean nothing unless there is a system in place to make sure that they are abided by. So those are the kinds of compromises that we're
1: talking about in cities. A quick question on lobbying, Tim. Um, um, when cities start facing these things and having you know these kind of debates, should they expect... Um, Lobbying efforts from the hotel industry, or from Airbnb, or any other parties. Um, what when they take this on? What are they looking to? What are they, they going to see?
0: They should expect that because anytime you're thinking about adopting public policy, you're going to stimulate uh, various stakeholders to come in and share their opinion, and that's that's actually a good thing. I think that in in crafting this policy, what I learned in my experience was we should identify our objectives first. So we had one objective to fulfill the city government's public health and safety obligations with this sector. Second objective was to make sure we did not cause harm to our long-term, uh, rental stock. And then third, we wanted to reward the entrepreneurial spirit of people who wanted to start their own little business and see it uh, thrive. And I think we, successfully addressed all three of those for example the tax that we impose seven percent once we pay for the city's enforcement and regulatory functions the rest of that money and it's a lot a lot of money millions of dollars a year goes into our affordable housing construction fund to build affordable housing uh, to build up the long-term rental stock in the city so uh, there's a way to do this work, there's a way to do it collaboratively as we've talked here this morning and also to achieve the public policy outcomes that a particular city wants to achieve.
1: I'm gonna squeeze it's one It's really more a win-win in.
0: situation, yeah.
1: Yeah, I agree, um, they're gonna cut me off but we're the last one of the day so I'm gonna take a little latitude. Um Clarence, COVID, what it, it obviously changed everything. We're seeing um some cities are seeing kind of a flight out of the cities. Um, do you think that on the other side of this pandemic that we will see um maybe do you think we'll see more regulations or on around short-term rentals, or do you think that maybe we'll see some relaxed policies?
3: Yeah, um, there's no question that uh COVID has uh impacted uh all of the cities throughout america i will give you an alert and i guess everybody has seen this a lot of people are moving out of the urban communities and they're moving into those smaller quaint um, little communities and uh, they are uh, renting a uh, short term just to get some air <laughs> and a new space um in those communities i think that um as we uh Transition through the pandemic. We're not going backwards. There's no norm. We got to reimagine. And I think reimagining is that the industry is going to uh, prosper. I really do. Uh, I also think that um, we're going to see uh, the teleworking um, concept continue. And therefore, um, I don't have to sit here in Washington, D.C. And play the CEO in, in uh, Washington D.C. I could actually be in my home in West Palm Beach, Florida, where it is 79 degrees, and I can nine, I can do nine holes in about you know an hour and a half. And I think totally that, unfair. That, that, that,
2: that,
3: that's just the truth. And I do think that we're gonna continue to see staycation. We're gonna continue to see people learning more about their own community in a short term way. Um, You know, I did take a ride out to Middleburg, Virginia, and um, I used a short term rental for a week because I'm no longer traveling, Amanda. So, um, but this is creating some new life for communities, it's creating new opportunities. With that, we're, we are we are going to have to partner with, uh, with Expedia and Airbnb and the other partners in this space um, because I think um, that I know that this is not going away and this will be a new way of life for us. The benefits, I'm going to leave my last comments, it's got to be about us talking about the benefits and the partnerships, including with the hotels. Um, there's not that competition. It's an additional option that is available. The option has to be managed with public sector, my local mayors and council members, with the industry. And I got to tell you, with the the people that uh, uh, Amanda spoke about in terms of that neighborhood, um, good neighbor policy. And I'm excited about it. And I think that for me, I want to see more people get jobs out of the industry. And I'm going to say that COVID has unveiled that people of color uh, are struggling. And I want the industry to reach out to be good neighbors in that way as well. And uh, I would would be remiss if I didn't say we need to wake up and say that we have a role in the industry to play as well. I'm on the tourism council in Washington D.C., and I got to tell you, the tourist industry is is hurting tremendously. Uh, so I just I just think that we're at a good space and we got to move forward.
1: I don't think I can end it better, so I'm gonna go with that. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. I um I'm very much looking forward to getting this video and and taking a deeper dive and taking notes. Um. Amanda, Tim, Clarence, I hope to talk to you again. Thank you so very much for this very important discussion. And thank Uh you, Skip, for a very successful day.
3: I enjoyed it. Thank you guys for having us. Thank you very much. Thank you. you